here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Need help getting your builder's registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the show. Julian Stoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. He's probably preparing to come back next week and uh, get stuck back into some more midday madness. Uh, not a great day outside again. Weather pretty average. November 16 always brings back great memories. I can't believe that's 17 years ago. Uh, John Aloisi's famous penalty up there in Sydney got us through to the World Cup. But uh, time absolutely flies. A, a nice memory on the eve of another World Cup. Uh, plenty to chew over in midday madness. Of course, you call, you get on for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Wrong fuel extraction search up shipcreek.com.au. So give us a call on the Werribee Kia open line awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy or send us through a text on the 40 Wings temper text 0433 98 11 16. Consumer's Choice winner temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Sometimes Timing is everything. Our producer, Zoe, locked in Jeremy Lowliga on Monday. I'll tell you what, timing is everything. A significant day uh, for the NBL, a significant day for basketball. Uh, if you're just joining us and you're not aware of what we're talking about, uh, Isaac Humphreys, uh, the Melbourne United star, has, has come out as gay. He's the first openly gay basketballer in any elite competition around the world. So it's a significant day for Melbourne United. A significant day for the NBL, so we'll speak uh, to its uh, CEO, Jeremy Lowliga, or their commissioner, Jeremy Lowliga, a little bit later this afternoon. Of course, we've been going back through uh, AFL drafts. We've got 12 days to go. So we're going to go back to 2010 now. Not many people get drafted three times, but the man we're going to speak to today did. His name is Matt Spanger, of course, a bit of a cult hero at the Hawks when he played in the 2014 flag. 56 games. In 11 seasons, now working as an assistant coach at the Dogs. So we'll go back through his journey um, when he joins us on the show. Uh, as we say, 12 days to go to the draft. So Kevin Shifter-Sheehan uh, will join us as we go through the next batch of draftees and uh, just who he likes. We've got 12 days to go and it's some pick swaps yesterday. So there's still a bit to go between now and the draft, which gets away, gets underway on Monday uh, week. And a really interesting story um, with para-taekwondo athlete Janine Watson. She's got a remarkable story. Um, the Australian Championship's not too far away, and uh, we'll bring you that story a little bit later this afternoon. Um, plenty of things to talk about. Obviously, if you want to give us a call about Isaac Humphreys, there's been obviously a lot of praise coming on social media. Just saw um, the NBA actually put out something a short time ago uh, congratulating uh, Isaac Humphreys. I'll just find that for you. Uh, we are proud and grateful to Isaac for sharing his story. We know the real impact his honesty and courage will have on many others. Isaac has our unwavering respect and support. So that came out uh, from the NBA. So if you want to say anything about Isaac's announcement, uh, give us a call. Massive overreaction yesterday, wasn't there, to the Brownlow medal with you know Grant Thomas coming out and being on the news services saying it's time to take it off. Uh, the umpires, did you think that was a massive overreaction? Is there something in it? If you go back through all the uh, recent awards, which uh, Channel 9 on Twitter has done. So they've done non-midfielders to win major home and away awards over the last 20 seasons. There's five. Max Gorn, 
Barry Hall and Warren Treadray all won the Coaches Award. Nick Rewalt won an MVP in 2004. And Adam Goods won a Brownlow in 2003. He was basically a mobile midfielder that year. So it, it shouldn't even be an argument at the moment because it's, it's got nothing to do with the story that's unfolded um, with uh, this investigation into umpire um, Michael Pell. But it does show that um, it's not just the umpires that are voting on midfielders. So have you got any thoughts on that? A roof for the MCG? Is that an overreaction from Eddie Maguire? Or, as he says, if we want to make sure we still get the best sporting events in the world, do we have to have something that keeps out the inclement weather? We we saw that maybe the T20 World Cup, a lot of people thought that was going to get washed out. Thankfully, it didn't. But if it did, the next day was clearly going to be a washout. So has Eddie got a point there? Uh, or is that a massive uh, overreaction? So anything you want to talk about, give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Well, If you haven't heard the Isaac Humphreys uh, video where he comes out and explains it to his teammates, it's fantastic stuff. We'll play it for you uh, in a sec. Before that, uh, Mike's been the first to jump on the Where We Care open line. G'day, Mike. Oh, g'day, Jules. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Good. Hey, I just want to touch on um, uh, with Isaac Humphreys coming out um, um, with his teammates um, earlier on. And I just wanted to say it was, it was really, if you listen to his words, it was um, really passionate and everything else, the way he went about it. And you'll get people coming out and saying, why does athletes need to come out like this? But it's not just for himself, it's for others for the future as well. And I just thought he, he went about it really the right way. And it was really, really interesting to listen to. It was fantastic, and we, we saw it last year, didn't we, with uh, Josh Cavallo, uh, the, the footballer in October last year, uh, plays for Adelaide United, uh, did a similar thing, uh, came out, and that was celebrated around the world uh, like it has uh, with Isaac Humphreys. So uh, currently the only openly gay player playing in any professional uh, competition around the world. So, yeah, we'll play that for you uh, in a second. Thanks for your call, Mike. A mystery craft beer bundle. Thanks to Hairy Dog coming your way. The largest range of alcohol online delivered. HairyDog.com. Uh, let's get to Carlos in Bentley. I think he wants to talk about some uh, round ball. G'day, Carlos. Uh, g'day, mate. How are you going today? Good. How are you? Look, I'm fantastic. Now, 17 years ago on this very yes. day, John Aloisi kicked us to World Cup, you know, glory. Well, not winning the World Cup, but getting to the World Cup after 32 years of just pain. Now, in seven days. Now, I hope you've got your pen and paper ready. Got it. My prediction in seven Here we go. days' time. Carlos from Bentley we'll at 12.10. Yep, yep. You, you heard it right. 3-0. We're going to roll the French, I, I tell you. There's just something in the air with this World Cup. A lot of injuries. A lot of injuries. And I think with the Socceroos not having a lot of players playing the elite clubs in Europe, for once, will actually benefit us because when we don't have a very congested fixture, a lot of the players, we're not that tired compared to the French. And I think we're going to shock the world this World Cup, to be honest. Now, let me just go back a step, Carlos. Did you say we'll beat France 3-0? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think they're a bit, you know, the World Cup curse. We've got to put that into the equation. Now, look. I'm a bit of a soccer is nuffy, so <laughs> take it with you know a, a big a big pinch of salt here. But I'll, I'll say this though is that I just think it's a French mentality at the moment. This World Cup, there's a lot of big egos with Benzema coming back into the side. Him and Mbappe don't get along very well, particularly after the Real Madrid um, fiasco. I just feel like with this World Cup, I had look. I thought Graham Martin was out. I thought oh, I was not a fan, but now 
I feel like he's got a different mentality in this team that we're not just going to show up like we do with every World Cup. We're actually going to put our heart into it. We're going to go and actually do something. And I genuinely believe that we can beat France. Tunisia should be a shoe-in. I actually think Denmark are the strongest team in this group. So I'd love to get at least a draw from there. And then round of 16, who knows from there. But I just think we just got to change the mentality and, you know, get... You know, I, I love football, so I really hope that they, you know, do some bits at this World Cup. Love your passion, Carlos. I'll, I'll tell you what we'll do. If we, even if we beat France 1-0, whatever it is, we'll call you back next week and we'll get you to review it for us. Because I don't think many people would share your confidence, A, about winning and B, about winning 3-0. But uh, we love it. Uh, $50 Brick Lane Brewing voucher coming your way. You can enjoy that uh, while you're watching the Socceroos Brick Lane, one love pale ale, perfect for all occasions. And the ultimate crowd pleaser, drink responsibly. Just off the back of what uh, Carlos said there, a couple of the Socceroos uh, spoke over in Qatar last uh, yesterday. Uh, Mitch Duke and Thomas Deng, this is what they had to say about tackling the French in the opening game of the World Cup. Well, I'm a true blue Aussie. I feel like the Aussie mentality is that not, not back down mentality. We can beat anyone on our day, um, not to be scared. doesn't matter who they are. They're, they're 11 players against 11 players. That's the mentality I think we've got to have, not get starstruck. I know you obviously know some of the names in that France national team, but at the end of the day, they're human. It's 11 v 11. And, you know, that Aussie mentality, that Aussie spirit, if, if we can come on our day, I reckon we can do, do a job. From what I remember from the last World Cup, you know, Pogba was saying, you know, Australia was their toughest game. I think this time around it will be totally different. They probably are watching the A-League or, you know, watching the J2 um, just to make sure that, you know, they know every player and, uh, you know, tactically they, they can be um, set up better. Of course, you go back to the last World Cup. It was a late goal from Paul Pogba that defeated the Aussies 2-1 and he won't be out there. He's injured, but uh, yeah, it's a big task. It's an amazing squad. The French have got going in as the defending champions, but as we know, the Aussies are never really overall overawed, uh, so it's going to be fascinating to see how they go. I hope it's better than 2010 when we played Germany and got spanked uh, 4-0, and that was pretty much it uh, for our World Cup. Let's go to Stephen Cremorne who wants to talk about the MCG. G'day, Steve. Yeah, g'day. How are you going? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good. Um, look, I, I reckon uh, the idea of a roof on the MCG makes absolute sense. Um, we did actually lose an important game during the World Cup soccer. We we didn't we missed out on playing England. So whilst the final did go ahead, mm. we missed out on a on England, which was really disappointing. But I think um, it'll be great for crowds. Um, you know, especially at the footy during the winter. Um, you know, I think Friday night, Saturday night, some of those wet cold nights um, can be a bit of a turn-off for crowds. But I also think they need to look at the capacity. Could we get it to 110, knock the whole thing down at one go, get it back to 110, even 120 if they can, but providing those seats go to um, the general public or members of the clubs, not to um, corporates. Um, But also have it designed so that they can have the movable seating because when we do have um, big events like the you know, rugby union or big soccer mm. games um, at the MCG, it always looks terrible when the, um, people are so far away from the ground. So perhaps building it with a removable, with a movable seating, I, I just think we need to make it, you know, um, all-purpose all with a roof, um, upgrade the lighting, etc., and and um, you know bring it in into the into the right century. Yeah, I don't think they'll be knocking the whole thing down because, you know, half the ground is is pretty modern. You go into that new uh, MCC members reserved and that is all pretty state-of-the-art. I don't know that they, we need to increase the capacity. I mean, how many times do we get over 90,000 at the MCG a year? Maybe, maybe twice a year. Is it worth bumping it up another 10,000 when you only get 
crowds of 90,000 plus a couple of times a year. Uh, it, yeah, I'll, I'll look, I'm not sure if it's you can do the retractable seating. It'd be great. You're right. Because if you go to a, a soccer game at the MCG or rugby league, we've had State of Origin there before, or, you know, big Bledisloe matches or Wallabies test matches, uh, it, it's not ideal. But I'm not sure that's something that can be done. But uh, it's an interesting point you make, Steve. Uh, 18 holes of golf for you and a mate with a cart. Get 18 holes of golf for two with drinks and a cart midweek for just 99 bucks. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. Before the break, let's get to Greg in right up in Rockhampton. Hey, Greg. Hey, g'day, mate. Hey, look, I just thought I'd uh, just quickly share on the growth of AFL football here in Rockhampton. When I moved to Rocky, um, it's, it's rugby league heartland. I mean, serious heartland. And AFL over the years, particularly with uh, AFL Queensland, have been you know, infiltrating schools and been doing a pretty good job in establishing the game. But where the real kicker has happened has been with AFLW. Right. And the effect has right. been quite prominent. Here in Rockhampton, AFL now is a prominent sport that gets plenty of media attention. We have uh, AFL team, AFLW teams in all the clubs, and the fabric is amazing. What it's done is that you've got mums whose sons play and they play, you know, and uh, we've got three very good grounds here in Rockhampton. And on a weekend, you'll have juniors, reserve grade, uh, then the A grade, and then the women play under lights. And the whole, the whole fabric of community has been quite extraordinary. And that's why AFLW here in Rockhampton is by far the fastest growing female sport. It, it, it has no competitor. And I don't know uh, how that uh, translates to other states, but here in Rockhampton, it has had a serious impact on the growth of AFL as a sport overall. And of course, it's, it's quite prominent now. We've got uh, Brisbane playing in a grand, uh, sorry, in a, uh, in a pre- yep. prelim next week. They'll win that. They'll win that. And um, but but in Queensland, this, there, it is a really good news story, and it's the community. I mean, if you can imagine, at the end of the day, the women have just played. Then there then there is the community-based uh, socialisation after that, and uh, it's extraordinary. And so there are so many women playing football here in Rockhampton. It's ridiculous, and uh, and also the uh, outer uh, uh, clubs as well, like in Gladstone, Boyne Island, down the coast, Yapoon. It is huge. So it's a real winner for AFL, and uh, I hope that they keep uh, um, uh, the funding going right, particularly uh, in regionals, because here we have rugby league heartland that is seriously being overrun by AFL, by AFL and particularly in with women, and that is the big growth area. So kudos to AFL Queensland, and I hope that the AFL are experiencing the same sort of success that we are witnessing here in Rockhampton. Oh, Greg, thanks so much for your call and letting us know. I didn't realise it was it was going so well up there. So you said you, you moved to Rockhampton. Where are you from originally? I'm from Essendon. I'm a born and bred Essendon boy. Uh, love my Bombers. And uh, uh, <clears throat> and up here, uh, Bombers are pretty popular in Rocky, I might add. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm a Melbourne boy that's moved up here. I've been here for, for 30 years and... Uh, and I've just—it's it's amazed me. I played my, I played football here until I was too old to play, and uh, the growth, though, the growth in the last ten years, and particularly in the last five years, has been quite amazing. And seriously, it's women's football. It's—it's—it's it's, it's huge. And as uh, um, 
the women's AFLW becomes more and more popular, and it's amazing the amount of people are watching it on telly, even up here. I'm sure they'd probably know that. Um, as it continues to grow, um, uh, we're going to see it expand even more so in these regional areas. Awesome, Greg. Thanks so much for your call and uh, letting us know. I'm sure the AFL would uh, be pleased with that. There's no doubt the, the, the women's game is taking off. Even if you drive around Melbourne and you see all the games that are going on on a weekend and, and girls out kicking the footy left, right and centre on grounds all around the city. So it's great to hear that's happening uh, not only in Melbourne and regional Victoria, but also in Queensland and regional Queensland. Let's take a break. Rick uh, from Ringwood, hang on. We'll get to you on the other side of the break. This is Midday Madness, of course. You know what it is. You call, you get on for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Put the wrong fuel in your car. Visit upshipcreek.com.au. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. I'll read through some of your 40 Winks uh, temper texts very shortly. As, as you know, this is afternoons for Master Builders. Want the best in industry training? Contact Master Builders Victoria. Rick from Ringwood has been hanging on. It's midday madness. You call, you get on, as you know. And he wants to chat about the G. G'day, Rick. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my call, uh, Jules. Um, the, the last or two callers ago spoke about uh, putting a roof on and uh, retractable seating, uh, which sounds a wonderful idea. It might be worthwhile just looking at what's happened with Marvel or Colonial or Telstra or Everhead <laughs> or whatever it's called. Whatever it's been, Docklands. Uh, which was... Yes, which was originally built with uh, surprise, a roof and retractable seating. And uh, I think they've used a retractable suit seating uh, on a handful of occasions. And uh, when they've had rugby or soccer that's played there, they don't bother using it anymore. No, I remember they, they did use it for a few A-League games early on, but you're right, I can't remember uh, the last time they did. Do you, do you like the idea of a, a roof at the MCG or do you think it's not necessary? Um, I think you, you have boutique station, uh, stadiums for a reason. I suspect it's going to be a huge um, job to do it at the MCG. And they, they have a problem with the uh, grass growing, uh, strangely, in uh, the shade at uh, mm. that mm. other stadium. They do. That is uh, correct. Uh, Rick, thanks for your call. A $100 Garmy chicken voucher coming your way. Garmy? The Unmissable Chicken. Visit garmichicken.com.au for your nearest restaurant. Uh, plenty coming through on the 40 Winks Temper about a whole range of subjects. Uh, quite a few about the MCG and Eddie Maguire's suggestion. If you didn't read it in the Herald Sun today, that uh, if we want to keep getting the big sporting events at the MCG, particularly you know like big cricket matches like World Cup finals where it is weather dependent, we need to look at building a retractable roof. Uh, one here, I don't... I go to the footy at Marvel because it has a roof. I don't go to the MCG when it's raining. I'm a Renegades member because they play at Marvel. Um, the MCG should have had a roof 20 years ago, says Greg in Glenroy. Roof on the G. Does that mean the Boxing Day test becomes a white ball game? Or maybe we move the test to the Junction Oval. Pull your head in, Ed, says Daryl from Reservoir. No roof for me. Hate Marvel, says Mike. Um Bit of feedback on a couple of calls as well. Uh, Carlos was very pumped up about the Socceroos. Believes they can beat France. Not only beat them, beat them 3-0. Love that from Carlos. Got me pumped. Hope we beat France so we get to hear from him again. 
Another one, I'm calling for Carlos to be our World Cup correspondent. Uh, and a previous caller from Rockhampton, who was just talking up how well footy's going up there, Aussie rules footy that is, particularly off the back of AFLW and women's footy. Uh, that caller in Rockhampton is a star. How cool is he and what his AFL community up there is doing? Brilliant, mate. Keep up the good work, Simon from Sydney. So keep them coming through on the 40 Wings Temper. Consumer's Choice winner, temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Uh, let's get to Mark in Oakley before we get the latest from the newsroom. G'day, Mark. Hi, Jules. How are you going? I'm well. How are you? Good, thanks. I just wanted to uh, make a comment about Isaac, the United basketball player yeah. who recently came out about his sexuality. Um. I just, like, it was a heartbreaking sort of statement or confession in regards to what he'd been through. I'm just wondering whether big organisations and even at Clubland, um, like in the AFL and the NBL, whether we can create a little bit more awareness in this area by... We do take work for Indigenous Round and, um, you know, exposure for that. We we have the Neil Danaher... um, corporation as well so why don't we do like a pride round or all the likes of to shine the the light a bit further in this area and have that sort of exposure and create that sort of warm environment that we need well yeah the aflw has a pride round and st kilda and sydney for i would say half a dozen years now have been playing in a pride game uh once a year when those two teams uh, play so it's we've dipped our toe in the water, I guess you could say. Um, I mean, it's talked, it's been talked about for so long, hasn't it? You know, will there be a day, or when will the day that an, an AFL footballer uh, comes out as gay? Um, you know, if we created an environment where it it would be okay in terms of all the feedback would be positive, and we've definitely seen that with with Josh Cavallo and, and Isaac Humphreys today. If you look all over social media and all through our uh, 40 Winks temper here. It's all been positive. So I hope we've got to that stage where it happens, but it, it's got to be the individual is comfortable enough to do it. And I guess maybe an individual would be worried that, you know, if they are the first, they always will be remembered as the first. And, and maybe that might sort of overshadow to a degree uh, their career. So it is very much uh, an individual choice. Whether we get to the stage where the AFL men's competition has a pride round, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we do get to that stage. Uh, so there, there's certainly interesting questions uh, you pose, Mark. A Signet Boost Power Bank valued at $59.95 coming your way. A Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet and earbuds powered. 24 hours a day. I think we've just about mastered that, Rob. Uh, Rod. Rob. Rod. 24-7. Oh, he's giving me a dirty look now. Hey, just one more off the temper text before we get to the news. Uh, this one. Hi, Julian. Do you know where or if we can view the NTFL game this Friday night that Gary Ablett will be playing in? And it's a pretty good game. Neville Jetta's playing. Travis Varco's playing. Uh, will be awesome to watch the little master running around again. Well, Zoe's straight onto it. So the match kicked off at 8.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time from TO Stadium in Darwin. Community TV. That's community with a K and not a C, will live stream the match as part of its season-long deal with the NTFL. I'm pretty sure SEN is streaming that game uh, as well. So I uh, hope that answers the question for you. Let's get the latest now. Rod from the newsroom with April. Solid Rod. Solid start to, to the music 
today. That certainly wasn't April. That was Sam Fantasia doing the news and doing a fantastic job. Uh, Spencer's jumped on the Werribee Kia open line. Remember, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Spencer wants to chat about the, the Socceroos. Hey, Spence. Hey, mate. Uh, yeah, just listen to Carl. I think it was from Bentley earlier. Yeah. He's, he's very confident in the Socceroos. I'm not that confident. <laughs> I don't think anyone's that confident. Oh, well... I'm with him, though. There's a feeling in the air. I think we can get a result against the French and definitely even against Denmark and Tunisia. We can get points against them easily, but maybe not a 3-0 like you were saying. But I think this is a massive World Cup for Australia. Not as a, But as a sporting nation, there's no footy on. There's no cricket on. There's the ODIs that no one really cares about. But this is going to be big for Australia, and this could be a generational World Cup. We've got a young squad. This can set us up for the future generations. Where's this confidence coming from, Spencer? I mean, I know the French have got a few injuries, but there's been a few calls now that are quietly confident. Where's it coming from? Because let's be honest, we, we barely scraped through qualifying. The squad's certainly not... Uh, there yeah. is some good young players, as you say, but it's not the strongest squad we've taken to a World Cup. So where, where's this confidence coming from, from your point of view? Well, the, the squad's better than what it was in 2018, and we scraped a point against Denmark in the group's uh, in 2018, but and Tunisia is a weaker nation. We can beat them, but I think Asia as a whole continent, it gets a bit disrespected. I think a lot of European pundits don't quite put the respect on their names. As Japan's good, even Iran can Iran can get some results. I'm feeling so, but the Socceroos, as I don't know what Carl said. I don't know about three nil, but we can get a draw against France. If, Cammy Devlin runs around for the first 60 minutes and terrorises them, gets a yellow card, comes off, sub on for Gary and Cole, and then it's the way they're off to the races. Oh, po- a point would be very nice uh, from that opening game. I mean, we'd love to win. But geez, I, I think if we got a point, we'd almost think that was a win, wouldn't we? Yeah, we can beat Tunisia and then, I don't know, scrape another point against Denmark, and then we're looking at the round of 16 against Mexico, I think. You are looking ahead. Uh, now, Spencer, oh, you sound like you, you, you know your football, so I'm, I'm going to get some predictions off you. Who's going to win the World Cup? Who's going to win the golden? Argentina. Who's going to win the golden boot? Uh, Argentina win it, and oh, it's easy to say Messi, but it just depends on what nations go close to go close to the end. I'm thinking. I don't think Portugal will be any good, but I think. England can get to get themselves to a quarter, and then Harry Kane might get five or six, and then it's kind of his to lose. I think that'd be nice. That'd be nice if Harry uh, won yeah, the gold. But give us a, a, a we'll outs- outside the Socceroos. Give us a country you think that can do some damage that that, that maybe people don't think are going to be that good. Well, they're a bit. Of, oh, I don't know. I think maybe Spain. I think they had a pretty poor twenty eighteen World Cup, but they were good at the Euros. Uh, I think they can push through, and right, they definitely make it out of the group. They've got an easier group, but uh, Croatia are again another. Well, they're not really a dark horse. They're in the Euros finals, mm. but um, well, not the Euro final, the World Cup final. Sorry, previously, but I think everyone's fixated on Argentina and Brazil. But there are definitely some sleeper nations out there. Yeah, it should be a great World Cup. Hey, Spence, thanks for your call. Uh, love your passion. And uh, there's a few more coming off our 40 Winks temper as well. Uh, Craig, Craig, we don't need that attitude. France 7, Socceroos nil. We don't need that sort of negativity. Uh, let's get to another break. John and Matt, uh, hang on. We'll get to you on the other side of the break. It's midday madness. And, of course, this is afternoons for 
SEN for Master Builders, Master Builders Victoria, supporting businesses in residential, commercial and civil construction. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. Welcome back to the show. I think we've got people a bit fired up about the Socceroos. Plenty coming through and our 40 Winks uh, temper text. Just for another one here, uh, Jeremy Loliga uh, will be on at 2 o'clock uh, today on the show. We just had a temper text running what time the NBL commissioner uh, will be on. Uh, seriously, guys, France's B team is better than Australia's A team. There's no way we're winning, says Vlad. Oh, this is a bit cheeky. I think Italy can win it. Oh, wait, they're not in it. That's that's a bit cheeky uh, to our Italian uh, audience out there. Very uh, sharp work. Let's go to John in Mill Park, of course. It is midday madness. You call, you get on, and John's jumped on the Werribee Care open line. G'day, John. G'day, Jules. How are you? I'm well, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Look, um, you know, sometimes we've got to just um, dream that Australia's kidding themselves if they believe they can beat French. Even their C-grade team would beat Australia. Oh, John, that's a bit disrespectful. Freak. No, it's not. Not at all. It's not being disrespectful at all. You've just got to face facts. Australia just, just scraped through on penalties. Okay? We are not anywhere near, anywhere near international level at this stage. I can tell you, they just think about the forwards of the French team, Mbappé and Girard and Benzema, who's the European footballer, the, the footballer of the year. What defence of Australia do we have that's going to hold Mbappé and his speed if he gets hold of his ball, the ball? You've got no hope. If they lose, if they don't lose, win more than 3-0, it's a failure by the French. Secondly, if we're hoping that Tunisia is some team that is not up to it, think again, guys. They had an exceptional African Nations tournament. Yep. And Denmark, not to be laughed at. No, good Australia side, Denmark. Good side, Denmark. Do you take any confidence out of the way we play? I know it's four years ago and things change, and obviously our squad is different, and their squads will be different as well. But we were pretty good against France in the World Cup four years ago, and we got a point off Denmark. Does that does that give you any confidence? No confidence whatsoever, because let's just face it, Australia just make numbers up. Well, it's got a fast facts. They never, they will never, ever, ever. The way Australian soccer is set up, the way we are set up, how can we produce a team when your your major domestic competition has pensioners playing in it? And how do you then gauge all the players from that play all over the world, bring them in together for a week or two and try to make them understand a system that then is going to prove at international level to fight against top class 32, 31 other nations. They're not going to do it. No, that, and that's a whole different debate, the development and, and the program that we've got uh, in Australia. John, thanks for your call. Uh, plenty more lining up. Matt from Craigieburn wants to chat Socceroos. Hey, Matt. Hey, going, Jules? I'm good, um, mate. Not as, not, as, not as down as the previous <laughs> caller was on Socceroos, but I do think we do need to be a little bit realistic about France. We... Technically, we're no, we're, we're not in the same game plan, and and I do love the fact that at least this time Arnie has admitted that he's gone in saying that yep, technically we're not up, we're not as 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 good as these sides we're coming up against. But 
Socceroos teams of the past have competed by being very physical mm. um, and very um, energetic. So I'm hoping we're going with that. As to John's point about our qualifying, you've got to remember we only played two home games in qualifying. Um, so I think that's a bit of a false economy saying that we just scraped through when we played it pretty much our entire, the longest qualifying campaign of any team in it, and we played almost entirely away from home. Um, so I, I think we, we need to, to look at that when we're talking about how we qualified. Um, as far as the rest of the World Cup, uh, Jules, I wouldn't discount the Dutch. They're on a really good run at the moment. Um, we've got a, a really good young squad and, and a well-coached. Um, and from a golden point, a golden boot point of view, um, I'd love to, to probably as a dark horse go with someone like a Memphis Depay. Yeah, interesting player, isn't he? Memphis Depay didn't work out at uh, Manchester United, but he's a, he's a high quality player. And yeah, it's hard; you never know what the Dutch are going to do. Their times are a bit like Italy; they're either in the World Cup doing really well, or they're not qualifying at all. So. Uh, their best is very, very good. Thanks for your call. Matt, let's get to Pete and Paran as we continue the Socceroos theme. G'day, Pete. Oh, first of all, I think it's, uh, you've got to go through the, uh, through the uh, uh, World Cup with your South American pseudonym, which is Juliano Carlos Santa Maria Sanchez de Stoop, as you've heard before. Can't I just have my Belgian surname as my uh, football sort of name? Flavor. Gotcha. Thank you. All right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take that one on board, Pete. You're very welcome. And uh, anyway, I think that we're all forgetting too that the World Cup is 32 countries out of approximately 200 that are playing uh, world football and have, a, have an international team. The, that achievement in itself, to be on that stage and, and get the recognition, is huge. There are countries who, in Europe, try every year and are lucky to make it once every three or four. Even Italy has missed out on occasion. So that is a huge achievement. The reality is we, we don't have the caliber that we did, you know, some World Cups back where we had Duger and uh, the cream of the cream. It was just a, you know, an exceptional uh, talent pool that we had at that time. And realistically, me personally, I mean, we're always going to back the Socceroos as Australians, but we're just going to want to see the boys do everything they can, leave nothing on the pitch. That is it. I mean, the fact that they've, they've qualified is a huge achievement. You cannot underestimate that. Yeah, good call, Pete. Uh, you're right. Uh, there is some quality countries around the world that miss out uh, every time, and, and none more so than the European champions this time uh, in Italy. Let's get to Darren in Perth who wants to chat World Cup. G'day, Darren. Yeah, yeah. Hi, how are you? I'm well, mate. Good, good, good. I just want to talk to one of the callers who's very down on the Socceroos. I remember that game vividly last time when we went down 2-1. You know, that the Socceroos were right in that game. And I remember uh, Trent Sainsbury was interviewed after the game and he felt that, you know, it was a couple of decisions here and there went against them that, you know, and that happens in those games. Um, but whether the Socceroos are not, they're not that far off. When you get that close, there's only a percent or two in in decisions and little things that separates France and the Socceroos. That's the reality of getting that close. And it could just come down to a decision or two that might go the Socceroos' way this time. Who knows? But, um, look, they weren't that far off last time. And Pogba, I remember Pogba was pretty good in that game. He's not going to be there. So I wouldn't write the Socceroos off. Um, they can, any team on that, when they get to that level, 
there's only a little bit in it in world football. Well, that's the beauty about football, isn't it? Compared to, look, if you look at tennis, for example, you go into the Australian Open and the defending champion, Rafa Nadal, is drawn against a, a player that barely qualified for the tournament. We know the result. Rafa's going to win that match 99 times out of 100, where football is a little bit different. You know, France and Australia are different in terms of quality, but it can be a bit of luck. It can be a poor decision uh, that can go your way. And as you said, we, we've matched them last time. So, yeah, we're not without hope, even though logic says... Uh, France will beat the Socceroos. Let's get a break away. Tony on the road will get to you uh, on the other side. This is Afternoons on SEN or for Master Builders. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne Dwell with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. A bit of uh, positive feedback for Robert off the temper text. Love and devotion, too good. Might better have that on his mind, Rod. Hearing there might be a date tonight. I'm not sure if he wants that public consumption, but it is the truth. Uh, let's go to Tony on the road who wants to chat about the Socceroos. G'day, Tone. Yeah, good afternoon, mate. Look, uh, two callers ago, the, uh, the fellow that was on, he, look, he's 100% spot on. I mean... If Australia are going to go in there with full of optimism and thinking that they're going to get anywhere near France, I mean, they've got to think again because the best, the best result we're going to get out of this is hopefully they get a point out of Tunisia. I mean, Tunisia, I think, from memory, are ranked 30. Australia are ranked 38. I mean, Denmark are close to the top 10. I think France are four. Now, just to put things under, into perspective, I mean, Australia have got only one person who has kicked more than 10 goals in internationals. Now, France have got eight who have kicked over 28 goals. So their depth is formidable. Mm. So I I, I really don't know where Australia is actually thinking or how they're going to qualify to the next stage because France are going to bank this one is for three points and, and another one against Tunisia. And even if they get a point out of Denmark, well, then they're through. Now, the best thing Australia result is going to get us is hopefully as a point out of, out of Tunisia because they're not far apart from each other in the world ranking. But as far as quality standards goes, I mean, we just can't compete with these, with these European nations who are just so strong in, 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 the, uh, in the art of football. Thank you, Tony. You've got to go in with some self-belief, though. No one's saying that we're better than any of these teams, but you've got to go in with some sort of self-belief that you can beat them uh, on your day. And I think that's what uh, the Socceroos are saying. Uh, after one o'clock, we're going to back to the 2010 draft. Not many guys get drafted three times. One of those is Matt Spanger. He'll join us after the news. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. Welcome back to the show, or welcome if you're just joining us for the first time. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Still to come on the show, NBL Commissioner Jeremy Lodeliga, uh, Kevin Shifter-Sheen as we look ahead to the 2022 draft, and para-taekwondo superstar Janine Watson will also join us in this hour. But 12 days to go to the draft, so we're going back 12 years. That's the 2010 National Draft, an historic draft because it was held on the Gold Coast. The Suns had the first three picks, David Swallow, Harley Bennell, and Sam Day. Other 
There's plenty of other prominent players in that draft. Andrew Gaff, Dyson Heppel, Dion Prestia were all top 10 picks. Isaac Smith at pick 19. Cam Guthrie at 23. Jack Darling, 26. Luke Parker, an absolute steal at pick 40 for the Swans. Uh, Tom Libertore, 41 as a father-son. Tom McDonald, 53, a bit of a steal for the Demons. Uh, Alex Johnson, who looked like he was going to have a great career for the Swans before those knee injuries struck at 57. Pretty handy rookie elevation at pick 58 for the Cats. James Podziadley, Hawthorne Premiership player Paul Piopolo at 66. And at number 73, our next guest, the second time out of three times that he was drafted, Matt Spanger, went from West Coast to Sydney. And Matt's been good enough to join us to Sabo. Hello, Matt. Hi, mate. How are you doing? I'm very well. Uh, before we get stuck into your journey and, your, I guess, your draft experience, given you were drafted three times, how's life as an assistant coach at the Doggies? It's been quite a nice uh, transition out of playing in, into different elements of footy. But my uh, my first year season at the Dogs coaching-wise has been pretty enjoyable from my point of view. I know, uh, you know everyone would hope to have better results and we would have liked to have had a better year in terms of where we finished. But overall, it's a fantastic group of, of players and also uh, people out there. And I've really been enjoying it. When did coaching come on your radar, Matt? Because you did a lot of study uh, during your career and went into other areas post-footy. When did sort of coaching come on your radar? Yeah, I came back into footy after a couple of years abroad uh, for a role at Collingwood that was uh, a little bit of a different role in terms of operations and and welfare and just the nature of probably COVID, uh, having you know a lot of people in the industry wearing different hats, got a bit of a taste of it at VFL level there. And then uh, just in terms of you know, fortune, Luke Beveridge gave us a call and um, I figured, look, if, if he figured I was uh, I was worthy of the role, I'll happily explore it a little bit more myself. And um, I was I was always really interested in doing it, but it's probably more about the the right opportunity. And this just seemed like the perfect one. Has it been what you expected? We've heard, you know, Luke's probably been one of the more uh, vocal coaches about, you know, it's really tough for coaches at the moment. You know, footy departments aren't what they were post COVID in, in terms of numbers. Has it been in terms of workload? Has it been what you expect? Yeah, for me, I'm okay with it. I mean, um, it's hard for me to compare because obviously I wasn't coaching prior to uh, all the cuts. So I have only really know what this feels like. And uh, my attitude is, you know, if the work needs to be done, just get it done a little bit. I Don't get me wrong, I can appreciate that it's, it's, there are times where you're a bit stretched. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we've got a, a little girl. Like during the season, it does. there are times where uh, you wish you could be uh, of more assistance at home, and particularly if you've got travel weeks and things like that, it makes it a little bit stretched throughout that period of the season. But um, oh, there are ways in which it evens out. Certainly at the end of the year, if you're not directly involved in any recruiting and things like that, you do get a little bit more time off. So, look, it's probably a little bit of a ledger where we are stretched uh, throughout the year, um, and I can appreciate for some people that's a real challenge. It was a remarkable uh, career you had, 56 games over 11 seasons. Let's go back to the, the first draft you participated in, pick 34 to the Eagles in 2005. Um, injuries early, played one reserve game in your first year and you had to wait until 2008 to make your debut. What are your memories of being drafted the first time and, and making that long trek across to the West? Uh, well, West Coast is one of the teams that uh, had shown uh, a key interest in me throughout most of my juniors. Like, they'd spoken to me in my bottom age year as well. So I always knew there was a, a chance of going there. Um, 
and so when they call a name out, I, it wasn't really a surprise. I was just so excited, to be honest, to get to get drafted. It's probably one. I mean, I know lots of young boys and girls these days are, are uh, probably the similar thing where they've aspired to do it for so long and such an important milestone in their in their footy career or footy journey. And I was no different. I was very excited, um, you know. And then uh, as you have to pack up very quickly, you get over there within you know three to four days, you know, a little bit of bittersweet mentality uh, slow slips in that you, you are moving pretty far away. But at the same time, I uh, oh, I was I was up for it. And then, uh, yeah, and then it was one of those ones where you get to come back, I suppose, within three or four weeks for, for Christmas anyway after being drafted. So it was, it was almost the first bit was a bit of a, uh, like a whirlwind. It takes a little while to, to sink in. It's going back after that Christmas period, I remember just that, it really been all right. Well, this is this is it now. So that was sort of my first initial initial memories of the yeah the first time I got drafted. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was your debut game the infamous game where Barry Hall knocked out Brent Staker? It was, yeah. I, I didn't see you running up to Barry trying to defend your teammate. Uh well, I've got a great excuse. I was actually on the bench at the time, so <laughs> you, you would have uh, otherwise. You would have otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I like I like to think I would have, but geez, I'm glad I didn't have to worry about it. Oh, um, yeah, that was a strange, strange debut. Um, in that respect, it uh, yeah, it meant I had to. It meant I went to go and play like a, a different opponent, and it was good. I got to play on Michael Lachlan, who taught me a fair few footy lessons that day. So it was uh, oh, look, an interesting debut to say the least. We're talking to former Eagle, Swan and Hawk, Matt Spanger, as we look back to the 2010 draft. So how did it be that you came to Sydney? Obviously, you were drafted that year, but you wanted to get back to Victoria. When did you sort of think there was an inkling you might head up to the Swans? Uh, I would love to sit here and say that I had an idea, but honestly, I was, I was a bit blindsided by that. The, the way it all eventuated is I probably wanted to get Victoria the year before where... Um, I'd actually, my manager and I had been speaking to Carlton at the end of 2009, and I'd played a fair few games with the back end of that year at the Eagles, and the time felt right to get back home. And also, I could well and truly appreciate that uh, the Eagles had some pretty good young key defenders who uh, were definitely better placed than me, that being you know, Mackenzie Schofield and Mitch Brown at the time, as well as already having Darren Glass, and I think Adam Hunter was still around. So like, it was it was tough. Uh, and one of us probably had to go. Um, and I had no objections to exploring going back to Victoria. So um, that was at the end of 2009. And then uh, I actually just had a horrific year for the end of 2010. And, uh, and, you know, looking back now, you know, probably rightly didn't get recontracted with the Eagles. So I went and trained with Hawthorne for that off, that off season, you know, in the, in the old school way, not the, the more formal way they do it now. So uh, I would have had the full, I think I had two, three weeks training with them and uh, had a pretty honest conversation with Alistair Clarkson and I for the draft and seemed to saying, hey, uh, look, we're going to go with Cam Bruce, who was also training at the time and uh, the best chance would probably be a rookie. And oh, that was okay. You know, when you're looking to hang around the system, you don't, you don't have any complaints. But uh, it didn't eventuate and my name was read out by the Swans, who uh, had apparently spoken to my manager. But, um, yeah, I was... I was pretty unaware that they were that interested. So you're at West Coast in 2006 when they win a flag. You're at Sydney in 2012 when they win a flag, but you're not not part of it. What what are your sort of memories of those experiences? Is it a bit bittersweet, or in the moment you're just 
excited because you're on the list and you've, you've played some sort of role in it? Well, certainly in 2006 at the Eagles, that was my first year in the system and um, I'd been injured the whole year and was nowhere near playing a senior game, let alone contributing on the field. So you were, it was, in many respects, my position in the team then just felt very privileged and, and happy for your teammates because you knew there was no there was no other way you could really contribute. So, uh, but 2012 was a little bit different at the Swans. Um, so the back end of 2011, I'd, I'd played, you know, probably a, a five or six games for the Swans and I'd, um, started to feel like I was contributing to the side a little bit. And then 2012 was uh, was probably the one of the more challenging years in terms of injuries that I had. Just couldn't get a run at it. So I was, um, had a pretty significant soft tissue injury in the pre-season. And every time I'd get back through uh, the NEFL then, um, you know, play three or four weeks and then break down again. So just couldn't get a clear run at it, but knew that, um, you know, my best would, would be able to contribute. But uh, at the same time, you know, the players who played that day, well, I'm sure heard the medal, but, you know, people do have to miss out, unfortunately. It is it is tough when you uh, when you you feel like you should be out there and, and you're not. Oh, that's, uh, I imagine most players who have been in that position um, you know, you are. That bittersweet is definitely the way to describe it. You certainly much rather be celebrating to a certain extent with your teammates rather than everyone commiserating, but it still hurts when you're not part of the uh, 22 or 23 these days. Well, you kept lobbing at good clubs because then you, you head to Hawthorne. They win the flag in 2013 and you played in the qualifying final, but not part of the flag. And then you mentioned injuries. They'd been a problem for you throughout your career. And 2014 ended so well, but it didn't start well with another pretty serious injury. Yeah, I, uh, I again, some soft tissue stuff in the pre-season, but got you know, in a team in round three, I believe, against Frio. And uh, the Hawks were playing some really good footy as they were you know, during that period, pretty holistically. But we uh, went up to the Gold Coast and I yeah, had a, I got a medial ankle injury, which um, put me out for 10 weeks. And then uh, it's funny how some things work out. Uh, I uh, Brennan Bolton actually took over the coaching as I was about to return, and because uh, Clarko was sick at the That's time, right. yep. and um, and we just also had a, a, a bit of a run of injuries with key backs. Gibbo was out, and a couple of other ones uh, to mention. I think Lakey might have been out. Yep. So I think Kyle Skeeney and I were out with a pretty much only availabilities, and um, it's the only time I've ever had to come back in the side to my crew without going through the reserves, which was which was nice. And uh, we played West Coast down in. Tassie and um, played a fairly decent role down there and then um, from there got a bit of momentum and then never never really came out of the side and obviously was lucky enough to culminate in being part of the team at the end of the year in the last game, which was, which was you know, a pretty special moment. Yeah, and there was a, just a, there was a growing popularity amongst the uh, Hawthorne fans for you. The Sir Matt Spanger Facebook page was created. Do you, do you sort of know why you resonated so highly with the Hawthorne fan base? Um, oh, I, I, it's probably a couple of things. I mean, it's always nice to, to resonate on the positive side than you know, being maligned like you know some players get, get a little bit more attention. I, it's probably all the things we're discussing. But I, don't, I know um, I don't have the most traditional footy uh, pathway, you know, and uh, probably the look I was running back then uh, might have been a little bit more <laughs> standout-ish compared to some of the other people on the field. Um, you know, it seems to be uh, by the by these days. But I, uh, 
It, it all stemmed actually from the year before at Box Hill. Like the Box Hill and the real diehard Hawthorne fans got around uh, there and, the, and there's a lot of the other guys down at Box Hill in 2013 and we had a successful year that year as well. So I think that just rolled over uh, into 2014 when I was lucky enough to get a, a little bit of a run of AFL games. So you play in the flag. I remember the day after at Glen Ferry Road where the, the celebrations were. Everyone wanted to hear from you, even though uh, there was a host of superstars in the team. There was only one problem though, Matt. You could hardly speak. What happened to the voice on the Saturday yeah. night? <laughs> yeah, look, it's a it's a massive uh, defect in my genetic makeup. Whenever I uh, get excited and and have a celebration <laughs> the night before, I, I probably I'm quite vocal in my. I think I lose my voice just through through sheer volume of talking. So um, I always wake up the next morning a little bit more hoarse, and I think. Uh, yeah, that it just didn't uh, go too well <laughs> when I had to get on the mic. But as you know, I certainly wasn't expecting. You think about all the, the cavalcade of, of superstars in that side. I mean, the last person I was expecting sort of to be called up was me. Um, so I thought I was going to get away with it. But look, anyway, we uh, it made for a nice chuckle for a few of the fans. But the interview was short, to say the least. <laughs> so what does it mean to be a Hawthorne Premiership player. I mean, A, to get to the flag eventually after all the ups and downs in your career and then to be part of a, a team that's one of the very best we've ever seen. Yeah, it's certainly something I'm, I'm proud of. And, I, you know, you take away a lot of things from your football journey. I'm pretty pleased with the relationships I've made along the way. All three clubs got some some great friends and still being in, in footy, it's, it's quite nice to see now when you almost go to when you play an opponent, you see someone at every club, you know, just from the sheer volume of places you've been, which is which is really nice. But specifically in regards to the the Hawthorne Premiership, it is it is something I know that statistically my career is is nothing flash, um, but I, I loved every minute of it, and I've always been a bit of a team player, team mentality. I was never good enough to probably win any personal accolades of, of the highest level, even even in juniors footy. So I loved. Uh, being part of something bigger than myself and to do that at AFL level, which is ultimately what I was trying to achieve the whole time, you know, really in many ways vindicated the career when you have so many ups and downs and, and not just for myself, but even, you know, family and friends who are, are riding those riding those uh, ups and downs with you. It's, uh, oh, it was a pretty special day all around for, for them as well. Well, Matty, uh, thanks so much for your time. It was a, a fascinating journey and uh, as you say, it, it there's one very special moment in there being part of that great uh, Hawthorne side. Uh, good luck as the preseason gets underway at the Bulldogs, and thanks for taking our call this afternoon. No, I appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me. Great to chat to Matt Spanger. He was such a popular player, and as I say, I remember covering that for Fox the next day down at Glen Ferry amongst thousands of Hawthorne supporters, and they were, he was the man that everyone wanted to hear from, and uh, his voice, he... There was a bit of Terry Wallace about it, a bit of Madge from Neighbours about it. It just uh, didn't sound too good. He clearly had a a good celebration uh, the night before. Uh, You're listening to Afternoons, all for Master Builders uh, Victoria. Uh, After the break, uh, we will play you the video, Isaac Humphreys, coming out to his teammates. Uh, Jeremy Loliga will join us uh, after 2 o'clock. That's coming up next on Afternoons. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. Uh, look, this is going to be probably one of the hardest 
conversations I've ever had in my life, but life's about doing hard things and learning from them and making a difference through those hard times. So bear with me, um, but I have some things I want to fill you in on and let you know about myself and, and my future. A few years ago, I fell into a very dark place, a very lonely place. I couldn't be who I am and, and I attempted to take my life. And the main reason behind me becoming so low and, and being in that point is because I was very much struggling with my sexuality and coming to terms with the fact that I'm gay. And I hated it about myself. I was disgusted at myself. I thought that I could not be that person within our environment, within a basketball environment. And it wasn't until I was in a community that's full of pride and happiness and joy. And it was a big wake up call for me. But then came the big you know, question mark of how do I be a basketball player and how do I join a new team when I've finally come to terms with this about myself and I don't want to hide who I am anymore. I decided that if I'm going to join a team that I'm going to come out publicly and just just make sure people know sorry that you can you can live and you don't have to hide just because you're an athlete. But I do want to say, you know, like we as athletes, as professional athletes, we have a responsibility to set examples for people. And the truth is there are so many people in other worlds that are struggling every single day and don't know how to get up, don't know how to exist. And I know how that feels and I want to represent those people. That's my goal behind this. Uh, make sure people know that you can be whatever you want, no matter who you are or what you do. You can be big ice and be gay, and you can still be a great basketball player and be gay. You can do whatever you want. It has nothing to do with your sexuality or who, who you are or who you're meant to be or who you're expected to be. I just, wanna, I just wanna be myself. I've discovered this is my purpose in life, and I'm gonna give it my best go. So well done to Isaac Humphreys, well done to Melbourne United that put that video out. We'll speak to Jeremy Loliga uh, very shortly, just after 2 o'clock, the NBL commissioner. It's it's a brave thing to do, but it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it is a big deal, but one when will we get to the stage when it's not a big deal and it doesn't have to be a big announcement? So uh, I think that's where we're all trying to get to. But as he says there, he's, you know, role models and that can help someone else. Um, that is a fantastic thing. So we'll speak to Jeremy Loliga about that uh, very shortly. Also coming up, Janine Watson, uh, a remarkable story in itself, a para-taekwondo athlete, uh, very, very talented athlete, and not just at 
the art of Taekwondo. So she'll join us. The Australian Taekwondo National Championships are coming up. You can get your tickets at ticketech.com.au as we've been doing all week or the last week or so. After 2 o'clock as well, we'll count down. We're up to our top five. Top five moments in AFL since 2000. So we'll do that after 2 and have a bit of time for your feedback to see if we got it right, got it wrong, we're close, horribly wrong. Uh, whatever feedback you want to give us. And uh, for Tobin Brothers Funerals as well, celebrating lives, you want to give us a quick call now or a shout-out via uh, 40 Winks Temper for someone's birthday, you can do that. Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Uh, well, happy birthday to the Socceroos, 17 years ago today, since that famous night up in Sydney uh, against Uruguay. But uh, give us a call now if you want to shout-out for someone's birthday. It could be a family member. It uh, could be a child, could be uh, anyone you want to say happy birthday to. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The Werribee Kia open line is open. Awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. But let's get the latest from the newsroom with Sam Fantasia. I think the sentiment was based upon an individual's feeling at that time. And I think, um, you know, since he had a fair bit going on, he had his, his, his own form. Um, he was one of the few that played all the games leading in as well. So other players had had the luxury of being rested or sort of rotated, um, not taken to India. Um, but as captain, you know, he forged forward and, and played all the content. So I think it may have just been a personal reflection at that point in time. Um, and then we managed, you know, with a, with a little bit of time at the back end of the England T20 series into the first game to, to get his energy levels up. So I think it was more to talking on a, on a personal front. And that can happen sometimes when, when the messaging comes out. Individuals can speak on behalf of how they're feeling at that point in time and, and we want them to be able to express that. But sometimes that doesn't represent the collective of the group. Um, so there's some fine lines in terms of the messaging that does go out there. That was Australian cricket coach Andrew McDonald on with Jared Waitley this morning. Uh, if you want to listen to that interview, check out the podcast. He went through a whole range of topics, uh, denied that the Australian players weren't up for the T20. They realised the significance of defending the title uh, on their home patch. He spoke about Glenn Maxwell's injury, as you heard in the news. Um, Cam Green, who's up for the IPL auction, and just whether you know Australia's comfortable with him playing in the IPL, IPL given the huge workload uh, on the Australian team. Pat Cummins is okay to captain the team uh, tomorrow against England. And also, he's still very comfortable with the fact that you can have one coach across all three formats uh, in Australian cricket. We know England split it not long ago, and that obviously they had the success in the T20 World Cup with Matthew Mott uh, as their coach. Uh, so Jerry Waitley and the team will head up the broadcast tomorrow from the Adelaide Oval. No doubt the English are tired. Josh Butler said it uh, this morning. They're pretty tired after winning the World Cup and some celebrations. So it'll be interesting to see how they play at Adelaide Oval tomorrow. Just a few more 40 winks uh, tempers before we get to the break. Consumers' choice winner, temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Earlier in the show, we're talking about Eddie Maguire's concept about a roof is needed at the MCG. Uh, Tim from Berwick says, the MCG is the best stadium in the world and no roof is needed because it would completely stuff the whole venue. Uh, One on the cricket. It'll be interesting to see how Travis Head goes opening the batting tomorrow in the ODI. Hopefully he can cement his spot at the top of the order. He joined the boys on the run home yesterday. Travis Head about the Socceroos. Been some positivity been some negativity uh, about our chances at the World Cup. Uh, I have no expectations on the Socceroos this campaign. I'm putting all my energy and excitement for the Matildas next year when uh, Australia and New Zealand host the World Cup. Julian France could field three teams in the World Cup and all three would be among the favourites to win the tournament. Hence, it's unfair to say their third team would be far better than the Socceroos. In saying that, anything can happen in 90 minutes of soccer. Another one here, uh, Tommy from Tassie. Uh, 
sadly, our glory days of 2006 are gone. Our ability to produce world-class players are gone. Not sure why, but maybe we need to look at unearthing some largely untapped Indigenous talent. Also, Serbia to win the World Cup. And Alexander Mitrovic for a World Cup smoky in terms of the golden boot. Yeah, the Fulham star has had a couple of prolific seasons in England. A very strong squad. Cheers, mate. Tommy and Tazzy. As for a birthday shout-out, the only one we got. Happy birthday to Sam Edmund for yesterday. 43 yesterday, the uh, little field marshal. So I'm um, sure he had a great day. Yeah, here he was. Went for a ride on his bike. Went to bed early and got up for breakfast this morning. So probably not his biggest birthday celebration for Sam Edmund. Uh, let's get to the break. Afterwards, on the other side, we're going to speak to uh, Australian Taekwondo star Janine Watson. She's got a fascinating story. Head of the Australian Taekwondo National Championships. If you want tickets for that, log on to ticketech.com.au. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Just to give you a picture at home, away to my right is a window, and when I look up and I see A-Rod running past that window, trying to get back to his station in time to come back from the break, I do get a little bit worried, but he got there with about... I'm tonguing. Yeah, he was tonguing, with about uh, three seconds to go. Hey, Australian Taekwondo National Championships coming up. It's in regional Victoria. Tickets at Ticketek. Dot com.au. One of the stars in action will be Janine Watson, and she's been good enough to join us this afternoon. Hello, Janine. Hello, how are you? Very well. Uh, great to speak to you. Um, just before we get stuck into your story, which is such a, a fantastic story. So it's in regional Victoria, and of course we know the Commonwealth Games in 2026. A lot of the action is going to be in regional Victoria, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Taekwondo is not in the 2026 Commonwealth Games yet? Yeah, so unfortunately, um, Taekwondo, we did put in a really, really good bid, uh, but unfortunately we were unsuccessful to be able to bring um, Taekwondo to the Commonwealth Games this, this time around, which is a bit unfortunate. Yeah, that is unfortunate. It would have been great to have it uh, on our shores. Uh, your story, so you grew up playing netball and tennis and, and soccer at state and, and national level, so clearly a, a very talented uh, athlete, but then... Just explain how life changed for you at 25 years of age. Yes, so um, I was always a sporty person. I was six foot two when I was 13 years old, so I was destined to be a netballer. Um, But age of 25, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and I was told that I had about five years with being in a wheelchair, 10 years of vegetable and not expect my 40th birthday. So um, some pretty devastating news at that time. Absolutely. So was there sort of symptoms leading up to that diagnosis? How did, when did you sort of start feeling you know, unwell or something wasn't right? Yeah, so my diagnosing symptom was um, my vision disturbances. So I was a goalkeeper for soccer at that time and I'd get blurry vision and then I'd get double vision and then I'd just be complete for blackness. Um, so obviously when that happens, you know, that something's not quite right. So it took about six months of being able to see doctors and specialists before I got that diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, but, um, symptoms vary from person to person. And the hard thing is, is that those symptoms come and go. So 
you kind of go, oh, I think something's wrong. And then you go, oh, it's gone away. I should be okay. So it's quite difficult to get that confirmation of diagnosis. Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you that question. So when you get that diagnosis, everything's going well in life, 25 years of age, playing your sports at a great level. I mean, how do you first take that in the first couple of weeks after you get a diagnosis like that? How do you, you mentally deal with it? It it was quite difficult. My diagnosing neurologist told me to go home and make myself comfortable. So basically told me your life's over. Um, so after you, you go through that grief period, uh, for me, I decided to take up the sport of Taekwondo. I thought, let's do the most craziest thing that someone could ever do with this diagnosis. So that's what I did. I took up a full con contact sport. <laughs> So how did that come about? How did Taekwondo come on the scene for you? Um, I had a friend who is a Taekwondo instructor and she said I should come along and have a go. And I said, I'd have no idea what I'm doing. I'd get legs sweeped. I'm too tall. <laughs> I'm too old. And she just said, Taekwondo is absolutely everybody. And I say to people at the age of 25, I found out that I had an uncanny ability to to knock someone out by kicking him in the head. So, <laughs> well, things you learn. That's, that's handy for the sport uh, you've chosen. So, what age were you when you took up Taekwondo? What was that? Sorry. What, sorry. What, what age were you when you took up Taekwondo? I was 26. So, I thought that I was way too old. But at the Australian um, Taekwondo National Champions, Championships coming up in Bendigo, we've got people over the age of 60. Um, competing. So you can't use age as an excuse for taking up the sport of Taekwondo. And given the disease affected your eyesight, so that meant ball sports were, were off the off the cards, but I mean, how difficult is Taekwondo in, in those circumstances? Um, well, it is quite difficult. So um, the, my multiple sclerosis has progressed. So I have no feeling in my arms or legs. Um, and any increase in body temperature results in paralysis in the arms and the legs, and I still go blind. Um, sometimes it's an advantage, so not having any feeling in my arms or legs. I've broken bones and not even known that um, that's happened, so that's been quite an advantage. Um, but I just adapt. So for me, with fighting, it was a case of go for the knockout in the first round. Don't go for the whole three three rounds. <laughs> Shop early, as they say. Um, yeah. So so, and and a few years ago, um, there was no place in in Parasport for people living with MS. Is that right? There was no no place whatsoever. So I actually competed in the able body competition and. Um, won quite a few national championships and competed internationally on the able-bodied scene just because there was no place for someone with a neurological impairment. And I got the call up in at the end of 2018 for the Paralympics. So Taekwondo made its debut at Tokyo for the Paralympics. And I was very successful at the Paralympics, winning bronze, so Australia's first ever Paralympic medal. Uh, for Taekwondo, and then the very next day they changed the rules and people with MS and neurological impairments weren't allowed to fight again. Is that right? The next day? The very next day, yep. <laughs> oh, that's... Um, well, so what was your reaction to that? I actually knew a couple of months beforehand, so um, I'd worked with my sports psychologist about the rule change, and it ended up you can only control what you can control. So... Um, 
I went into the Tokyo Paralympics and just went, I've got to give it my all. There's no tomorrow. There's no second chances. And just have fun and just enjoy the experience. And that's what I did. And what was it like competing? As you said, you competed against able-bodied athletes. What was that experience like? Um, that experience was probably one of the best experiences because they did not treat me any differently. There was no um, going soft on me and I wasn't going to go soft on them either. So um, it was pushing me and my opponents to their limits every single time. And what is it you love so much about your chosen sport now, Taekwondo? The thing that I love the most about Taekwondo is that it is for absolutely everybody and it's your own personal journey. So you can start at the age of three, the age of 60, like I said, and you set your own goals. And it's not a competition as such where there's points being scored. You set your goals and it's your journey. So it's a really, really inclusive sport. And if you don't like kicking people in the head, I love kicking people in the head, but if you don't, there's other um, forms of the art, say, for example, Pumse, which is the pattern side of things, which will be at the national championships as well, um, purely non-contact. And it just gives you, you that challenge of setting a goal, achieving the goal, which is absolutely fantastic. So you've been very successful in Taekwondo. And as we mentioned, you grew up playing a range of sports, but you also took up tennis as well. Yeah, when, when, so, uh, wheelchair tennis. When, when? How did that sort of come up on the radar? And um, you were very successful at it as well. Yeah. So in 2016, um, I, I, that stage, I knew I couldn't go to the Paralympics for Taekwondo. So I was at a talent search, and they picked me up for wheelchair tennis. And I'd won the national titles for wheelchair tennis within six months and then won the next four national um, titles for wheelchair tennis. But at the beginning of this year, I actually retired from wheelchair tennis just because my MS has progressed now a little bit more and my left arm becomes paralysed way too much. And when you're pushing really hard in a wheelchair and your left arm doesn't work, you kind of end up doing donuts on the court. So um, (laughs) I then had to try and find another sport. So that's what I've been doing this year. That must have been disappointing. You, you clearly, you loved your tennis by the sound of it and, and was very successful. That must have been, was that a, a hard decision to give it away or was it just something you, you just had to do? Um, wasn't a hard decision. I think um, as anyone knows um, when you come to that time, you know you've had enough. You know it's time to let go of something. So um, I was quite happy to let go of the wheelchair tennis and explore new avenues. And this year I have successfully transferred over to wheelchair badminton. So using the same skills um, from wheelchair tennis into now a smaller court, which is better for me and my disability. And I've already made the top 20 in the world so far. So I'm aiming for Paris for wheelchair badminton now. Is there any sport you can't play, Janine? Uh, golf. I played golf on Sunday. <laughs> terrible at it. <laughs> well, most of us are terrible at golf, let's be fair. Uh, what, what are the expectations then going into the the, the national championships for you? Uh, for the national championships, I've actually got a lot of roles this uh, for the weekend. So it's actually being held on December the 3rd and the 4th. Um, 
And I'm starting off on the Saturday with the fight night. Um, I'm going to be commentating the fight night again, and it's going to be uh, live streamed on 7 Plus, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So we will be seeing Australia's top 32 black belts fighting off for the national title. So um, if you can't grab a ticket from Ticketek.com, you can see the live streams of these fights on 7 Plus. Uh, Sorry, keep going. Yeah, the next day I then um, put my athlete um, cap on and I'm then competing in the Ponce division, so the Patton division. Uh, So um, I hopefully, after four hours of live commentating on Saturday night, won't wear me out for then competing in the Ponce on the Sunday. Uh, Janine, it's it's a fantastic story. Uh, You're a busy woman and no doubt your diagnosis has not stopped you uh, achieving some uh, great things. Uh, great to meet you today. Thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, good luck in the commentary role and the competing role at the National Championships, as you mentioned, uh, coming up on December 3. Yep, thank you. And like I said, if you're in Bendigo or regional Victoria, get down. There's tickets available at tickettech.com or if not that Saturday night, you can watch it live on 7+. Plus. Magnificent, Janine. Uh, you've done my work for me, which is uh, magnificent. Friday night, December 3, tickettech.com.au or watch live on 7+. Plus. Need help getting your builder's registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. Julian Stoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Just had Janine Watson on the show. An amazing story. Some nice feedback on the 40 Wings temper. Uh, I should make a movie about this woman. She's amazing. It was one and two great Human stories today. And the other one being referenced there is uh, the story that came out of Melbourne United this morning. Isaac Humphreys coming out as gay. It makes him the only professional basketballer in any league in the world that has come out as openly gay. Uh, and we're going to speak now to the NBL commissioner, uh, Jeremy Lowe-Liga. Plenty to talk about uh, with you, Jeremy. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. It was a, it was a powerful uh, video we saw released by Melbourne United today. When did you first become aware that um, Isaac was going to go public uh, with his sexuality? Uh, just very late uh, yesterday. So just after he spoke with his teammates, I believe. And, um, yeah, we were really pleased that he, that he had the confidence and uh, the ability to do so after having had that conversation with his teammates. As you could see from that video, we're very, very supportive. And uh, for those of you who haven't checked it out, jump on Isaac Humphrey's uh, Twitter account and have a look. It was a, a pretty special moment. How did you feel when you were watching it? Um, I actually felt really emotional. Uh, I was super uh, proud of the fact that, you know, he, he'd been carrying this, what must have felt like a burden for a very long time and that he'd finally reached a, a space in his, um, in himself and in his career and, and uh, surrounded by people where he thought he could finally speak up and, and be himself in a, a, a more public forum. And that's, I, I just felt super happy for him. What does it say about Melbourne United and therefore also the NBL that he felt he could come out in, in this environment? Yeah, look, I don't want to speak for Melbourne United, but I'll certainly say as a league where we're very welcoming of everyone, we're all about inclusion and diversity. Um, and as I said, I don't want to put words into Melbourne United's mouth, but they always have pri- uh, prided themselves on being an inclusive club 
um, not just because of what's happened today. They've walked it and they've talked it for a number of years now. And um, I think that's reflected in the fact that Isaac actually felt comfortable at that club making this announcement and, and being comfortable being himself and, and embracing it. I guess it, it is a big story because it has been so rare in, in male professional sport. Do you think we're going to get to a day and, and hopefully not too far down the track where it isn't really a story when someone comes out in, in male professional sport as gay? Yeah, I really hope so. And, uh, you know, it's such a brave thing to do to be the first at anything. Um, but I think Isaac has sort of breached a new frontier and was going to make it so much easier for those who follow in his footsteps. And we love to see that. I mean, uh, we, we saw it with Josh Cavallo in the A-Leagues earlier and, um, and, and now with Isaac doing the same in the NBL. I hope it makes that decision so much easier for so many other people out there who might be grappling with the same decision-making process and letting the people know that um, you are who you are. Um, it, it's a... I don't know, it was a very empowering feeling mm. when I saw him um, make those statements in that video. And um, I think not just empowering for him, but it will be empowering for others as well to have the confidence that I can be who I am, whether I'm an athlete or a professional or a politician or a business person. My sexuality doesn't and shouldn't matter. Um, so I, I hope it does become the norm in sport. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're, we're all on the same page there. No NBL last weekend. We know it's international uh, break, uh, the Boomers booked their spot at the World Cup with a 97-50 win over Kazakhstan in their Asian qualifier on Friday night. Now, we know the Boomers, and it was the same with the under-19 team, were were due to play a match uh, in Iran. Have you been disappointed with how that's all been handled by FIBA? Um, look, uh, we don't have a huge amount to do with um, FIBA World Cup qualifiers. That's very much Basketball Australia's domain and we do whatever we can to make players available to participate in those qualifying windows. We don't have anything to do with scheduling or where the games are played or team selection. And um, so I, I, It's not my place to say that I'm disappointed with FIBA. Um, I think it was a, a, a sensible decision by Basketball Australia um, and to do what was in the right interests of the players particularly in the circumstance that we'd already qualified um, beyond this round. And so there was no need to play that game. So I applaud them for that. Um, but I wouldn't go so far as to presume what FIBA has or hasn't done to say that I was disappointed with them. Yeah, I probably should have rephrased the question a little bit different. I mean, I sort of mean, were you disappointed for the you know, players that play in the NBL were, were sort of put in that situation where there had to be a decision made by them and therefore by, and Basketball Australia? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I guess it's a challenging position for FIBA to be in as well. Um, so just for the benefit of your listeners, it's not like all of the World Cup qualifiers were held in Iran. Mm. It was this game scheduled to be held against the Iranian team. And, and it's, it just came to be that Australia was scheduled to play Iran. And, and that's just the luck of the draw. Um, so to, it would have been a difficult decision for them either way to say that, hey, Team Iran, you have to play a World Cup qualifier uh, against Australia, which is challenging enough in its own right, um, but we're not going to allow you to do it at home. I can understand that they're put in a tricky position as well, and, um, um, but I really respect the position that Basketball Australia has taken in respect of their decision not, not to play. Speaking to NBL Commissioner Jeremy Lowlega, it's been a great start to the NBL season, a lot of uh, unpredictable results. One of the, the unfortunate stories, though, has been several cases of sort of 
online bullying and some some terrible messages online towards players. A lot of it's been around gambling. I know you're working closely with the Players Association, the Integrity Unit, the police force to try and tackle this amount of online abuse. I mean, for, oh, that's an obvious question, but how disappointing has that been from your point of view? And I guess it's it's that difficult question about, you know, betting in sport as well and, and some of the, the the poor outcomes that come from that. Yeah, it, I, I think the kind of abuse that's been levelled at players online is abhorrent. Um, and that's not limited to basketball or NBL. It's, it's just not on. I mean, if any of these people were to be publicly abused uh, online um, and named and shamed, you know, it, it would have an in, enormous impact on their life. Well, these guys have public profile and are going out there doing the best they can do to put on a show for us. They're entertainers and they're professionals. And I think if they don't have a good game, no one feels worse about it than they do. <laughs> these guys are hardwired to be high performers. And the last thing that they need when they have a, a questionable game or their performance hasn't been at their best is someone calling them out and actually blaming them for that because of what it would just a nonsense reasons to do with betting. Um, certainly the, the police and Basketball Australia and our integrity folk work day and night to ensure that there are not integrity matters infiltrating player performances. Um, I, I guarantee you, if there are, we're more likely to pick them up than... than ill-informed punters on social media platforms who are just having a swipe. So we won't stand for it. We'll do whatever we have to do in order to help stamp it out. And in the meantime, we're there to support our players should they need it. The NBL 23 Unrivaled series has uh, been out for a while now. Uh, it, it's a great series. It's, you know, it goes behind the scenes of the Wildcat struggles. Aaron Baines opens up about his, his mental health. Uh, a couple of the imports talk about the challenges of, of being imports. What do you hope to sort of achieve with a series like that? Yeah, look, it, it, we're seeking to provide fans with a behind-the-scenes look at the league, and we want to document and highlight our players and tell their stories in an in-depth format. Um, we're, we're going to be continuing to release episodes throughout the course of the season and, um, and highlighting the biggest storylines during the campaign. And the reason for that is our players are not just incredible athletes, they're incredible people, and our coaches, for that matter. Um, they've got some incredible backstories and we're trying to fill in some of those gaps that people may not know about these individuals. Um, but then at the same time, try and give some insight to what happens in a basketball club during the, the cut and thrust of the course of a season, um, just how much pressure these people are under to perform. You know, we have a, a slightly different ecosystem to a number of other sports here in Australia and that it's a truly global marketplace and um, it can be it can be pretty cutthroat at times. You know, people come and go. We've seen, um, we've seen a couple of import players released in, in just recent times. Yeah. Um, we want to give people some real insight into the fact that this stuff happens every day and is, is very high pressure and hugely entertaining. And tell us about this recent broadcast deal you've signed with DAZN. What, what does that mean for the league? Yeah, DAZN. Look, DAZN is a, a really big global player in basketball uh, and principally what they're helping us do is deliver our content to new markets in Europe. And we, we were already broadcast live in around 25 countries around the world, and this will increase that number considerably. Um, so our reach uh, is going through the roof globally at the moment. We really are regarded around the world. 
as the second best domestic league after the NBA. Now, there's, there's the Euro League, which is effectively a Champions League of the biggest basketball teams in Europe. Um, but as a domestic competition, we stack up there and are every bit as good at, if not better, than most of those European leagues. There's a huge market and appetite for basketball in Europe. We've got some really talented European players here at the moment. We have over the last couple of years, a number of whom have gone on to play in the NBA. And so we're seeking to, to basically feed that appetite and recognise that there is a hunger there to know more about the NBL. And we're really pleased to be partnering with the zone to take it into, um, into Europe in a more meaningful way. As Australians, Jeremy, and even as basketball fans, do we underestimate the strength of basketball in Europe? Oh, yeah, it's a huge market. Um, and unless you've been and witnessed it for yourself, uh, it's, quite, it's quite difficult to explain just how raucous these fans are and how, how fanatical they actually are about their teams. It stems from their huge love of football, and it's not a surprise that um, the, a lot of the big basketball clubs are, I guess, sister clubs of their football equivalents. So the Real Madrid and Fenerbahce's and Olympiacos of the world Panathinaikos, they're, they're all big basketball teams as well. And when they get together, my goodness, is it a spectacle. <laughs> it's very different to going to an NBL game or an NBA game. It is a lot more like going to a, a football game, but indoors. Um, so a lot less, um, I guess, music and a lot less from the court announcer. Uh, and the crowd tend to make more of the atmosphere. It's, it's flags and it's flares and it's chanting the whole way through. But the quality of the basketball there is very, very good. Um, it's far more focused on fundamentals and basketball IQ and technique than it is on athleticism. And we sort of see ourselves, if you put the EuroLeague at one end of the extreme um, or European basketball and NBA at the other end of, of that extreme in terms of being very focused on athleticism and spacing, um, we think we're sort of a hybrid of the two. And that's why we think that our product will be very attractive to a European audience where obviously they're big fans of the NBA, huge fans of their own European style of basketball, and we fit nicely in the middle. So hopefully it will really resonate. Yeah, Gazy's got some interesting stories about uh, basketball in Europe. Just before I let you go, Jeremy, it is tough work tipping a winner in the NBL right now. I guess the, the Kings are strong, as we all expected, being the cool. reigning champs. But from week to week, picking winners is very difficult. Yeah, and look, if you had this conversation with me 12 months ago um, when... I think Cairns and, and New Zealand were, were on the bottom of the ladder at the same sort of period of the season to now being right up there at the pointy end along with Sydney Kings. It's fantastic. It really is great to see New Zealand so competitive in their first season back on home soil after COVID. I, don't, I can't think of a fan base more deserving of a, a fully fit and functional basketball team at the moment. So I'm thrilled for the Breakers fans. And then the Taipans, they're just week to week, they're continuing to impress. They're playing a really entertaining style of basketball as well as the fact that they're winning pretty consistently. So it's shaping up to be a very exciting season because I do see some of the, like the big dogs, I guess, who are probably under, underperforming by their own standards at the moment. And I would put Melbourne United and yep. Perth into that category. I do expect them to come home with a wet sail because... They might have a run, but it's hard to keep big behemoths like that down for too long. So it's going to make for a really, really compelling um, middle part of the season, I think. Yeah, it's been a great start, and it all resumes again tomorrow night. Uh, Jeremy, uh, thanks so much uh, for your time. On what, what is a pretty significant day uh, for the league, and particularly uh, Melbourne United and Isaac Humphreys? Thanks for your time.
Thanks very much, Jules. It's been a pleasure. And remember, watch every NBL game live on ESPN via KO and Foxtel or via 10 Peach and 10 Play every Sunday from 2 to 6 p.m. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. The theme, it's time for Lost in the Wash for Identify About Your Specialists in Asbestos and Hazardous Material Assessments. If anything we've missed so far in the show, give us a call, one 736 736 on the Werribee Kia open line. Awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Or send us a text on the 40 Winks temper text. Just a couple of little things we haven't mentioned. Uh, if you're a Melbourne fan, don't expect to see Ben Brown on the track until the new year, post-season Knee surgery has slowed him down. He won't start training till the new year. And Mel Hickey uh, is leaving the Western Bulldogs. She's been part of the coaching staff. Uh, she's got an opportunity with the Geelong Falcons uh, in the NAB League. So just a couple of little footy stories there for you, Kevin Shifter Sheehan. Not too far away today. We're looking at the tall and medium midfielders in the draft. And we are talking about some players that are going to go right up uh, at the pointy end of the draft. So we'll speak to Kevin about that very shortly. Now, we've been counting down the top 22 moments in AFL since 2000. And we've got to the, speaking of the pointy end, we've got to the pointy end. Five through to one today. Let's start with moment number five. Yep, magnificent call there from Dennis Committee. So moment six was the ball not bouncing for Stephen Milne, drawn grand final. The next week, that was the moment I think we'll all remember. It was a pretty ordinary game. Collingwood won comfortably, but uh, that first quarter smother uh, from Heath Shaw will never be forgotten. So that was a good moment for the Pies. Number four, not so good. Deep from the boundary. Needs to be inch perfect. He is. He's got the most impossible goal. Unbelievable. The most appealing footy. And Sheen has kicked a remarkable grand final goal. Yep, you kick the winning goal from the pocket in a grand final in the last couple of minutes. It's hard to leave that out for unforgettable moments. You know, and in what was a great Grand final. Speaking of grand final moments, uh, number three will never be forgotten as well. Cox throws it onto the left. One last roll of the dice for oh. Leo Barry, you star! Bob Murray reincarnated. The longest premiership drought in football history is over. For the first time in 72 years, the Swans are champions of the AFL. Steve Quartermain's had some good calls uh, in this countdown so far. So Leo Barry's mark, of course, it's everything about it. The quality of the mark, the timing, the historic nature of the fact that that saved the game for the Swans uh, most likely, and therefore they broke that premiership drought uh, of 72 years. So that's 5-4-3. and three. After the news, we'll reveal the top two moments. And happy to take your feedback, whether we got it right, whether we got it wrong, whether we were close to getting it right, whether we were miles off getting it right. Uh, you can either give us a call or send us through a temper text 
40 Wings Temper. Remember, consumer choice winner, temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Speaking of stuff that we haven't spoken about uh, on the show, was, I think it was either lead item or second item on Channel 9 News last night, was about Novak Djokovic. And it hasn't been officially confirmed, but all signs are pointing to the fact that he will uh, be able to play in the Australian Open this year. Um, obviously, the vaccination rules have changed. He couldn't play the US Open. He couldn't play tournaments uh, in Canada as well. But it, it did change only a couple of weeks, really, after the Australian Open last time. So it looks like Novak Djokovic will be back out here for the Australian Open. Uh, it was a massive story at the time. I remember being on air and the, the, some of the anger with the temper text about when he was trying to get into the country and then when he, he wasn't allowed in, or was in the country and then sent out, it really did divide opinion. So it'll be interesting to see how people react uh, when that news becomes official and then uh, most likely uh, Novak Djokovic uh, lobs in January. But, uh, yeah, I heard Jared Waitley speaking about it this morning. I, I think it's the, it's the right decision. The rules have changed. A lot's changed uh, since that happened in early January. So it, I don't think anyone should really have a problem with it that uh, Novak Djokovic is set to play in the Australian Open. Let's get to the news. Uh, just a reminder too, um, get your passports ready and pack your bag. You and a friend could be jetting off to Doha to watch the world's biggest football game, all thanks to McDonald's. Head to iCanWin.com.au. All you have to do is predict Australia's score, get the crystal ball out. It's Australia's score against Tunisia, I think is how it uh, comes to play. And you and a friend... Could be at the FIBA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. What a prize. 2022 semifinals of the World Cup. All thanks to Maccas together and loving it. T's and C's apply. Let's get the latest from the newsroom with Sammy Fantasia. What is this, Rod? Seriously, it's bashing my ears. Goodness me. Um, now, a bit of a late lost in the wash story on the Herald Sun. Now, Hawthorne says it's in the strongest financial position in the club's history after pocketing $32 million from the sale of its two gaming venues. The Hawks confirmed on Wednesday they had recorded a net operating surplus of $35.1 million after making the big call to sell the Westwaters Hotel in Caroline Springs and the gardens at Waverley Gardens this year. About half of that money... We put into the club's new training base in Dingley, uh, and importantly, the football operations surplus of seven hundred fifty-two thousand uh, also shows the club is not reliant on gaming machine revenue to make money. So, a bit going on at the Hawks. An election, a few tweets last night again from Jeff Kennett, but financially, uh, they are in a pretty good position. Okay, let's get back to our top two moments. So, five was Heath Shaw's mother, four Dom Sheed's winning goal in twenty eighteen, three Leo Barry's. Amazing mark in 2005. Luke Luco from Doreen. Stop encouraging Rod uh, with his music. Okay, moment number two. Now, special shout-out to former run-home producer John Clark. If he's listening, I know this uh, pulls at his heartstrings uh, every time. And it's one that uh, it was so emotional at the time and uh, just one of the great moments in Australian sport. Welcome back indeed, Jason McCartney, an inspiration to all. Imagine the lift this will give the kangaroos. You dare say, as his wife Carissa looks on, if they, he kicks this, they will be very hard to toss. What a start to the term it would be. Jason McCartney knows how to kick them. 
Yeah, I suppose uh, this is no better time than uh, I think I've used up every inch of uh, my determination through my fitness and uh, I suppose mental effort. And uh, I find it fitting now that I'll uh, hang the boots up as of tonight and go out on a great note. Because I've spent, it's been a tough time, but that's enough for me, mate. He's- an amazing night that was. So round 11, 2003, Jason McCartney suffered serious burns in the Bali bombings the previous year, came back for a one-off. And uh, no one knew he was retiring until he had the post-match interview with Tony Jones. They won the game by three points, a late goal to Lee Harding. As you heard in the call there, Jason McCartney kicked the goal uh, in the last quarter. Just a, an emotional night representing everyone uh, that uh, suffered in Bali, you know, all the families of people that suffered and uh, an amazing effort from Jason McCartan to get back. So that was moment number two. And we don't have to go back too far in history in this century for moment number one. Here comes Buddy. He doubles back. The kick's going his way from Warner. Yes! <laughs> Security guards ring the SCG on a Friday night. There's Swan supporters. There's Hawthorne fans. Everybody is watching. Buddy Franklin, with the eyes of the football world all around the country on him. And as the greatest showman, he likes it this way. He's 40 metres out. He comes in. The crowd comes in. He's got it. A thousand goals for Buddy Franklin. Perfectly, Franklin. A thousand goals. He lives out a million people's dreams. And this is a sight to behold. Buddy Franklin is lost among thousands of fans who pour onto the SCG. Scenes we will never forget. Buddy swamped by the fans. He was laughing and he was smiling. I think everyone was worried about how he might handle it, but he just lapped up the moment, didn't he? And it was amazing scenes, and uh, I think we'll never see that again. I shouldn't say never, but will we see anyone get a 1,000 goals again? Hard to see it. Uh, will we see anyone kick a 100 again? And Buddy Franklin was in our countdown a little bit earlier uh, for uh, his 100 goals in 2008. So that's our list. Number one, Buddy Franklin reaching a 1,000 goals. Number two, Jason McCartney's come back in 2003. Number three, Leo Barry's mark in 2004. Number four, Dom Sheed's goal from the boundary line in the 2018 grand final. Number five, Heath Shaw Smother in the grand final replay of 2010. Give us your thoughts on the temper text if you want. Uh, got a couple here. Sheed, fourth. Give me a spell. Standout number one, Big Brian from Bali, either a West Coast fan or someone that hates Collingwood. Uh, one or the other. Um, that's a bit harsh. Jason McCartney's moment the last time North won a game. Well, that's not true. Uh, very tough to split those first two. Uh, you could have gone uh, either way. I think they're the standout one and two, but I could be wrong. Any feedback, send us a temper text. 0433981116. Now, this is afternoon's. On SEN for Master Builders, want the best in industry training, contact Master Builders Victoria. Coming up, we're going to look at the medium and tall midfielders 12 days out from the national draft with the man that knows them best, Kevin Sheen. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. AFL talent ambassador Kevin Sheen about to join us. We're going to look at some of the medium and tall midfielders in this year's draft. 12 days to go, and we're talking about some of the elite players in this draft. 
fall into this category. One from J-Dog off the temper text. I'm hoping the dogs draft 194-centimetre midfielder Ed Allen from WA with their pick 11. Now, he's the son of Ben. His brother Link works here. Uh, he's a bolter, expected to go top 15, would fit nicely on the wing as he models his outside game on Ed Langdon and, more importantly, his inside game on the Bont, who I'm sure he would enjoy being mentored by. As we welcome in... Kevin Sheen, he was the first player I was going to ask you about, uh, Shifter. Old Edward Allen uh, comes from good stock. Uh, tell us about him. Well, he just had a limited preparation. That's the, the thing to get a, a sort of draft position on him off the back of just six games this year. But uh, some special stuff he did. Of course, we uh, were expecting to have a good year 12 months ago, knowing it was Ben's boy. But then I think probably growth problems. He had a sore back. That often can happen with young fellows as they're developing, and uh, it wasn't until yeah, the back half of the year they got into the into the Colts and started to play, and very quickly they whacked him in the state side. He played a pretty good game on limited game time against uh, SA, uh, but enough for us to say, well, "Gee, he's got some talent." Then he came to the combine over here uh, and was the quickest kid tested in Australia. It blew everyone away that this 194-centimetre boy was speed like that. So you go back to his vision again. I did. I went back to watch that SAWI game again. At one stage, he, well, he looked a star as he burst away from the centre. And the people he left in his wake were scrambling to try and grab a piece of jumper. But he left them full on the ground, basically. Uh, took a bounce and kicked it from outside 50. And that was the thin slice I need to see. That was enough for me. Oh, he's got some talent, this kid. Uh, he interviewed so well at Combine. I think every club spoke to him. Um, so they're all trying to find out, is he, is he a genuine top 20? Is he is he a top 10? Is He He, he gets drafted, no doubt in the world. And, of course, uh, just missed out by the two games on being eligible father, son, fourth, or... Uh, we remember Ben going back home to be Frio's first captain. Uh, so he left after 98 games. Played off 60 or 70 over at Frio was a star. Best and fairest winner there. I think he might have won a best and fairest the Hawthorne Premiership year. He either. did, yeah, 91. But ben was a yep. very, very good player and spent a fair bit of time on the board at the Dockers and, uh, of course, even in the media. So, yeah, he'll be drafted, but I just wouldn't be able to give you a clue as to where uh, as clubs would all have a slightly different view. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting he's quick because his brother Lincoln couldn't run out of sight in a dark night, so I'm not sure where it happens there. <laughs> but uh, just another play that's really interesting, uh, Kevin, it seems like all these you know these draft experts trying to work out the top ten are finding it a little bit hard where to place Matthias Filippo, whose dad played a few games for Footscray, yep. nowhere near 100. Um, but he seems yeah. like a really interesting one to try and place in that top 10-ish area. Yeah, yeah he looks to be uh, probably SA's first chosen player. Um, he's a 190-centimetre left footer with power, you know, power away from stoppage, um, that burst you need when you're, you know, let's say, you're 70 metres out, he'll run 15 with it and then ping with a left foot from outside 50. You know, he can do some special things like that. The first couple of games of Nationals, he was in the... Well, I think he's best on the ground in the first game. The second game, he's in the best two or three on the ground. Then a little bit of a niggle with an injury and just didn't finish off uh, the fourth game. He was on the bench a little bit there, carrying something. So he just didn't quite see it all unfold. But he teased us with his uh, unique ability. Uh, and uh, he just dominated underage footy, pushed up, played a couple of reserve games uh, over there in uh, 
in SA at Woodville West Torrens. But some of the boys will play some senior footy uh, in WA and SA. Uh, others will be held back depending on what their schooling's doing and their college commitments as well as uh, national championships and club commitments. So they all have a slightly different pathway, but he's done enough to be a first-rounder for sure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think some are... Uh, some are talking top 10, so we'll be interested. His dad, yeah, Sam played about 30-odd games over at the Bulldogs, but was a star in the, in the South Australian National Footy League uh, back in his day. So there's quite a few like that where uh, don't quite qualify for father-sons, but their, their dads will be names that the footy fanatics are, are familiar with, having, having seen them back in the day uh, perform at, uh, at the AFL level. And just reading a, a couple of the reports in recent days, he, he seems to have a, a nice, healthy slice of confidence about him. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. I live in clubs. When the interviews are on, uh, we're, we're around there, often sitting down talking to the boys while they've got a break, uh, you know, just a casual chat. And uh, But the clubs will wander out to get their next interview in and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they'll make the odd comment that sticks in your mind. And I remember a couple saying, gee, uh, he has got that nice uh, bit of confidence, which I like to see. He's got great self-belief. He wants to be, uh, he wants to be a terrific player. And he backs it up with the work ethic to do it. Um, so it's, yeah, that ring of confidence is pretty handy. Others are a bit yeah, a bit quieter. Um, it's their actions that speak for what they want to be as players. But others are quite uh, happy to express their, their view that, uh, that they want to be a star of the game. And, uh, yeah, he's got that ring of confidence, I think. We're speaking to Kevin Sheehan. We're talking about the tall and mid-sized midfielders in this year's draft. Uh, Elijah Holland's uh, shifter at a top 10 pick a couple of years ago. We saw some of his talent come out this year as he got his body right. He was coming off a knee reconstruction. His brother, Oliver, is there similar similar traits between the two? Uh, well, in, they can find the ball. That's a great starting point. But they're <laughs> quite different players. Uh, uh, Ollie Holland, in fact, is an elite runner. Um, up and down the ground, he, he proved that just again was the was the best player in the two K time trial or equal best with a boy called uh, Jason Gilby. Um, but Holland's um, yeah, it's, it's a, a unique running ability that gets him from contest to contest. Uh, we had a game down at Geelong uh, all late in a second last match of the Nationals where it was really wet, uh, tough conditions and. He absolutely excelled, 32 disposals. It wasn't just his running ability that day. He ran them off their feet, but it was his courage, his attack on the ball, and his poor use, particularly with his hands. He's got to, he's a one-touch type player. Sometimes it is really wet. The skillful come out. They're very skillful with their, their safe ball handling and, uh, as, as I mentioned, the courage as well to, to body line the ball and to not fumble it and uh, set it up for your teammates. And then he finished with a terrific game in the last match of the uh, the championships as well. So had a great year. He's had a Geelong grammar. A lot of boys, uh, some of the country boys will move into the city and go to school. Uh, he, so he's pursued his schooling as well. Uh, whereas Elijah's a bit more of the mercurial type of forward, you know, that uh, really can do some special things and, and did that late in the year, didn't he? Playing for the Gold Coast Suns. So uh, they appear to be great mates. I've seen them together a fair bit over the last couple of years and he looks certain to be a first rounder for mine. Uh, young uh, Ollie Hollands, uh, based on what we've seen this year. A couple of boys that have been mentioned going right at the pointy end, uh, Elijah Sartis and George Wardlaw. I heard George on Sports Day last night. He's been spoken about maybe going to Essendon. He said he'd love to go to Essendon. I guess the only two things with these young boys, it doesn't sound like it's going to matter in terms of their where they're going to go in the draft, is that they both had some injuries this year. Yeah, yeah, and different um, uh, stories too. George Wardlaw is a bull, you know, just 
just think of Christian Petrarca, strong body boy. We seen last year when he was a, a 17 year old, they had a couple of rep games, and he was probably second best to, to Will Ashcroft, another boy in your group there. But he looked fantastic, uh, George Wardlaw, last year, and then got into the NAB League and impressed too with a, a number of games before we were locked out. Um, and then started the year on fire this year. We have a, a rep game where the Australian boys get together, the National Academy get together and play a VFL opponent. That was Collingwood this year. He won the medal for best on the ground in that. And uh, he showed all these tricks. His burst from the, bursts from the centre was special. He took a wonderful mark with the, that floating ability across the front of the pack. He goes, gee, that's special. The leap, the one grab, the courage, it was all there. And then he had hamstring trouble uh, throughout the year and just a couple of setbacks so we just didn't see him again so it's what we term a thin slice or a bit of a blink of what he can do but those blinks were pretty special so he's going to be up there right up there uh, uh, young George Wardlaw uh, and then Elijah Sartis well he only played the six games but he won the best and fairest at Oakley one of the great clubs in the NAB League uh, off the back of that averaging 34 disposals he was a star early then someone had stood on his foot so he had a a fracture uh, in his foot and it cost him a, a fair bit of the year, but then he got back for the final game of Nationals and reminders. He had 29 disposals in that game. He just can read the game. It's as simple as that, and he can step through traffic as if the, the opponents are witches' hats. He just wanders past them, you know, goes one way and ducks back the other, and all of a sudden he's through and out. And uh, uh, yeah, so he's a real natural talent. So there's certainly early choices, those two boys. And, and uh, their teammates there at the Oakley Chargers. Yeah, and we know Will Ashcroft, as you said, is in that group, and uh, we know plenty about uh, young Will already. Uh, Kevin, as always, uh, thanks for your time. That is an exciting uh, group of players, and uh, some clubs are going to be pretty lucky when they're called out on draft night. I reckon there could be a dozen of those in the top 30 of those midfielders. Beautiful. Always great to speak to AFL talent ambassador Kevin Shiftershan. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Just about to hand over to Andy and Gazy. Of course, it's a Wednesday. That means Homicide will be in the studio. Hawks AFLW star Jess Dufford. And always fun when the Brick Lane crew drop by chatting some beer. So big show coming up. The boys will actually be in this time slot tomorrow, 12 till 2. Uh, they'll be out at Mount Derriman Golf Club ahead of the so 12 to 2, and then the cricket takes over uh, from the Adelaide Oval. Australia v England. Jared Waitley heading up the call team. Uh, just a couple of late temper texts on our list. Our top 25, Buddy Franklin's 1,000 goal was number one. Jason McCartney's comeback. Uh, game in 2003, number two. One saying Scarlett Topope missing out is pretty stiff. That was iconic. No, I didn't miss out. It was number 10. Uh, and Dom, I thought Huddo's SEN call of Buddy's second goal in 2010 from the boundary with Kyle Hooker chasing him was very memorable. Huddo's call gave me goosebumps, and I don't even barrack for Hawthorne yet. I was there that night. Best goal I've seen live. Very close to getting in the top 25, uh, but just missed out. Thank you to Zoe out the back. Thank you to A-Rod, even though, as Dennis Pagan would say, paperweight that thinks he's a bookshelf. Got a date tonight. Fingers crossed, Rod. There's no late text and no, it's not on all of a sudden. Uh, but uh, thanks, everyone, for their company today. Uh, as I say, tomorrow at 12 to 2, it'll be Andy and Gazy. but uh, you get your fix now. Andrew Gaze, Andy Marr coming up, of course. Big day in basketball. Homicide Williams will join them. Jeff Duffin and plenty more coming up with the boys after three. Great to have your company. We'll see you again soon.
Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.